All right, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing today, huh? Doing good. I got a couple thumbs up on this one. This is good. I'm glad to see everybody's doing good this morning. Uh, it's, a little, it's a little dreary out, but you know, in here, things are about to get warmed up, right? So I uh, uh, just want to welcome all of you. If this is your first time or if you've never filled one out before, there is a Connect card that is on the pew in front of you. Go ahead and fill that out and then drop it in the offering plate when it comes around. And uh, I just want to say, it's so good to be back. It's so good to be with you guys. I was uh, traveling uh, for work. We had some illnesses. And man, it's just so good to be back with the people of God. So uh, good to see you guys. Yes. A uh, couple of uh, just quick announcements. We do have a, uh, I wanted to make you guys aware, there's a men's Bible study that is, uh, that is starting um, on Saturday, uh, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. here at the building. So I uh, know you guys, uh, uh, there was, the first one was this past Saturday, right? And uh, there's a new study that's going to be started, not this week, but the next, uh, next week. But uh, we are still meeting on this Saturday, right? So 9 a.m. is going to be a good time. They had a great uh, turnout uh, this past Saturday, and it looks like there's uh, going to be some good stuff happening there. So uh, that's going on. And then we've got, at the end of February, just to kind of uh, put this in your uh, mind, we've got the uh, church retreat at the castle that's going to be coming up. So that's going to be the end of February. So make sure you uh, save those dates at the end of February. And, uh, yeah, so that is... That's all I got for this morning. So uh, let's all stand to our feet, and we are going to read Scripture together this morning. Okay, we're going to read from Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 10 through 13 together. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me, indeed, You were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak from want, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is God's holy word. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we very humbly come before you this morning. and Lord, we just exalt that you are our God and our King. Lord, we thank you for the great sacrifice of sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in our place to suffer and die for our sin, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful mercy and love of God that would pour out wrath upon him instead of us, Lord. And Lord, the hope that we have, Father, for his coming because of his resurrection, Lord, we just thank you so much, Lord, that through faith in him we have a living hope And that each and every day we long for his appearing. And Lord, we ask that you would be with Pastor Steve this morning as he leads us in your word. And Lord, that we would learn contentment as these verses teach us this morning. That we would seek to learn contentment, Lord, through the various circumstances of our life. And know that Christ, Lord, helps us to be content. Helps us, Lord, 
God, no matter what we're facing. And Father, I pray that, Lord, we would be strengthened by your word this morning and we would be eager to do your word and not just hear it, Lord, and forgetful, uh, but, but rather we would remember your word and seek to eagerly put it to practice in our lives. And Lord, I pray that if there are any here in our midst this morning who are, are suffering or in need, Lord, that the body of Christ, Lord, would come alongside of them to help them. Lord, if there are any in our midst this morning who have yet to come to saving faith in Christ, we ask, Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation as they hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And Father, we just thank you for these things. Lord, we love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to go ahead and sing this morning. Welcome this morning. A joyful time to gather together among brothers and sisters in the faith, and we want to sing a joyful noise to the Lord. We're going to start by singing How Firm a Foundation. This beautiful hymn teaches us that our foundation is found in the Word of God and that Christ Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Let's sing together. How Firm a Foundation. Sickness and health, in poverty 
foes And so though all hell should endeavor to shake I'll never, no never, no never forsake That so though all hell should endeavor to shake I'll never, no never, no never forsake. Amen. We're going to continue to minister to one another in song and to the Lord by singing how firm, I'm sorry, we're not going to sing how firm a foundation, we're just saying that one. We're going to sing Ferris Lord Jesus, Ferris Lord Jesus. Let's sing together.
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is a propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Lord, we thank you that we have an advocate in the Lord Jesus, that we can come confessing our sins, for we are a sinful people. As your servant Isaiah cried out, woe is me, for I am ruined, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. We come before you like that tax collector and say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. We thank you that we have our advocate, the Lord Jesus, who intercepts our sin, who stands at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us. And Lord, we want to bring our requests before you. Lord, we pray for the world around us. Our hearts are heavy as we see so much darkness in this world, so much lostness. We pray for our government leaders. We pray for Mayor Tito Brown. We pray for his salvation, open his eyes to the gospel. I pray also that you would inform his thinking on a a biblical view of government and its role to restrain evil through law enforcement. I pray that he would seek to serve this city in a way that would honor you that would promote good, that would restrain evil. I pray that you would keep him from any kind of corruption or bribery or things of that sort. That he would walk before you in integrity. Lord, we also pray even uh, for our Supreme Court. Lord, as they heard arguments this past week, we pray that they would push back against these Abuses of power and forcing people to take things and do things against their desires, against their will. We pray that you would restrain such tyranny in this land. Lord, we also pray as well for your kingdom, your people. We pray for the building up of the church. We pray specifically for Paradise Church and the ministry of the word as McNaples preaches there. We pray that your people would be fed and built up. We pray that you would bring many to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray that this church might be able to be an outpost for the gospel and that you would be glorified in that. We pray that you would help Mick to grow as a pastor, to grow and caring for people and that your church would be built up. We pray for your global church. We thank you that we have here with us this morning, the Schneiders. We thank you for Steve and and the ministry he has in training these church leaders and pastors. And Lord, this is such an important work for the building up of your bride in Chile. And we pray that you would just continue to sustain him and undergird him and allow him to be able to 
put these tools in the hands of these these men so that they might serve your flock well, so that they might teach your word, so that they might be better equipped to handle your word, both with the public ministry of the word, but also with the private ministry of the word and providing biblical counsel and upholding the sufficiency of your word for our problems, whether they be problems with suffering or problems with sin. And Lord, we do also want to take the time to pray for uh, those in our midst who are suffering, going through various trials. We pray specifically for the Wolf family that you would undergird them. Lord, that uh, this biopsy would go well and Lord, that there would be a good report and good prognosis and that there would be chemotherapy that would help shrink these tumors in John's brain and we pray that you would undergird this family in, in a supernatural way, that they, you would grant them a peace that transcends all understanding, that would guard their hearts and their minds, that they would be anchored close to you. We pray also for the LaRosa family. As Carl heals from his surgery, we pray that there would be a good report with the, the, the biopsy there and that... Uh, they would be able to move on from that. We pray also uh, as well for uh, Angie's mom, that you would just rid her body of this cancer and that you would help her as she uh, cares for her mother in, in her moments of need. Lord, and we pray for the many who are suffering from sickness, uh, so many viruses floating around, uh, I pray that you would uh, just be enabling those uh, who are sick to recover well, to recover quickly. Help us, Lord, in the midst of our sicknesses to not grumble and complain, but grant us, even as we'll hear this morning, a contentment, a quietness of the soul that rests in your sovereign hand in the midst of our sufferings. Lord, we pray also for this offering, that you would use these funds to advance your kingdom purposes, to glorify your name throughout the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. As the men come by to collect the offering, please stand and join together as we sing, His Mercy is More.
Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. For riches of kindness, He lavished. His blood was the payment, His life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. is more stronger than darkness new every morn our sins they are many His mercy is more our sins they are many His mercy is morning we have the privilege of uh, hearing the Word of God from Steve Schneider. Uh, Steve and I go way back to seminary days in Los Angeles, California at the Master's Seminary where we uh, were in the trenches sweating together, studying, memorizing Greek and Hebrew vocabulary and all that. And uh, Steve and Leslie, the past 10 years, they've been uh, serving in Chile, and uh, this is a very important kind of missionary work that's maybe a, a little bit non-traditional. A lot of times you think of a missionary as kind of a trailblazer evangelist, and, and there's a place for that kinds of missions work, um, but um, a good handful of the missionaries that we support, um, some of what they do is take the, the tools and the training that they've received here in seminary at, at the Master's Seminary and can train other national pastors. You think of uh, the importance of this kind of mission work as tremendous because uh, one missionary who has to learn a language, it may take him 20 years to learn to preach well in that culture and that language, but instead uh, Steve is going in training those national pastors who who are doing the work already but often need tools in their hands to do evangelism, to do ministry work, uh, and he's able to provide that training for them. So it's a very important work where one missionary is able to reach many more people by taking a lot of the, the um, trainings that we've received here because that's often the greatest need in a lot of these other countries is that they, they don't have any kind of theological training, very little equipping, and we're blessed in this country to have tremendous resources. And so Steve is going to come up and minister the word to us. So come on up, Steve. 
Well, good morning, Sovereign Grace Chapel. It's a blessing and privilege to be with you all this morning. And uh, also it's a privilege to um, be in partnership with what the Lord's doing in Chile. We thank you for your love, prayers, encouragement, support, and what the Lord's called us to do there. Um, and we also thank you for your special contribution to uh, provide a replacement vehicle for for Leslie. Her ministry has grown significantly with her reaching out in the discipleship ministry and leading the, the ladies' ministry. And we're so grateful and with your abundance of uh, provision to help us uh, find a replacement for her car. Well, we're back here in the United States. We've been locked up uh, at various times with this COVID thing going around. Um, it, we were supposed to have um, the graduation. We had one graduation for Santiago and Concepcion. We have three extensions. These two, we had a, uh, our graduation in, in the wilderness in Concepcion out in the, out in the field um, about an hour outside Concepcion for the, for the graduating group of about 15 men from last year, not this year's November class, but the year before because we weren't totally in lockdown in various phases of restrictions that impaired us from having our graduation ceremony, but it was a precious time for those who were able to see it during Sunday school. Uh, we are also supposed to have our, our, we're supposed to have our Valdivia graduation on December 4th in a couple days before heading south. Uh, we found out that there were more restrictions being placed in that area, so we are limited. If there was one person that had not been vaccinated, they reduced the maximum capacity of a building by 70% of the maximum. And so we were, uh, we're just going to postpone that until April. But on the other side, they've limited, they opened up the restrictions uh, for us to leave. There are other restrictions that really impaired us from coming back uh, for a conference of expositores at the, at the Masters, at uh, Grace Community Church. That was a Spanish uh, conference that um, was important for us. We did it, we met by, by Zoom. But uh, for December, we saw the opportunity to come back and we hadn't been in too many churches. So we are spanning across the United States. I think we're going to be in like nine states and 13 flights before we get back to Chile. Uh, we've been everywhere, man. <laughs> so uh, we, we uh, had an overnight flight that uh, didn't connect uh, two nights ago in Denver. So we had a night in Denver, a day in Denver. But we're thankful that we were able to get here last night and uh, be with you guys on this Lord's Day. Uh, we're here back uh, visiting churches and uh, supporters to share all of what the Lord is doing uh, through our labors and through your generosity and also for the opportunity to visit our grandkids. You know, it used to be that we're, we're back to visit our girls or, you know, and our husbands, and, but now with the grandkids that are crawling around, for those who are of that age, uh, it's, it's uh, precious to see what, uh, how the Lord is just adding the generations to our family. Right, before we uh, begin with our sermon, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are humbled by your love and your mercy and your grace and the goodness that you just lavished upon us, just as we sang before that 
Their sins are many, but your mercy is more. I pray today that that we would be edified and changed by the text of Scripture that Paul articulates to the Philippian, Philippian believers about how he learned contentment in his life and how they need to apply it so they might have joy and unity together as a body of believers for the advancement of the gospel, for the progress of the gospel. But more, he saw that this would, the advancement of the gospel would be impaired if they were not first able to progress in their own faith. And in this short epistle, we pray uh, that we would gather and gain an understanding of what Paul's emphasis was to the Philippian believers of the importance of progressing in our faith and how contentment plays that important part. So we would not be impeded by sin. We wouldn't be impeded with other things that interfere in our life and that we would take the things that Paul learned that we can see how in God's grace that you apply different circumstances in our lives that we can grow in this process to gain, to understand what, what, is to, what, is it, what does it mean to be content? What is contentment in the Christian life? I pray that, Lord, that you would give me the words to speak so that your text would be clear and your voice would go out and that we would, through your spirit, that we would understand these things and that we would be transformed to the image of your son and grow in our sanctification so that you would be glorified and exalted. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said, contentment, although it's not a topic that's mentioned as much as issues of sin that's mentioned in the book, in, in the Bible, discontentment is, is an important issue to recognize in in your life. If we were to define contentment in different ways, whether it be an adjective or verb or noun, as an adjective, to be content or contentment means to be satisfied with what one has, not wanting more or anything else. In a verb, as a verb used with an object, it says to make one content. These things content me. As a noun, it's a state or a feeling of being contented, satisfaction, or content with your circumstances. On the other side of the spectrum, we've got discontent or discontentment. This is, can be defined as dissatisfied, not satisfied, not happy with your current circumstances. One is displeased with his circumstances. In other terms, another way to say it, discontentment can be measured between the distance of your current situation and your circumstances with what you want your situation or your circumstances to be. So you need to realize what changes need to take place in order to make your discontentment content. What 
changes need to take place in order to make your discontentment content. Discontentment is a gnawing sin on your heart. It eats away at your heart. It eats away at your joy. It impedes your obedience to the Lord. It impedes your service and ministry to the Lord. It affects others around you. Discontentment affects your relationship with the Lord and your walk with the Lord. It fails to recognize the sovereignty of God in your life and matters, current matters of your life. It fails to recognize God's providence, his goodness, his love and his mercy and his grace. A discontent heart is not a happy heart. It's not satisfied with God's provision. A discontent heart is not thankful. It lacks gratitude. And a discontented heart or discontented attitude undealt with over time damages or destroys relationships. It manifests anger or envy. It builds and feeds on resentment in the heart towards others. It produces a complaining or murmuring spirit or a grumbling heart. And we know that in Philippians 2, it says, do not complain or grumble. The sin of discontentment undealt with can destroy or rob you of healthy relationships in your marriage, with your husband, with your wife, with your children, family members, or other work relationships, and even, importantly, also in the church or with your neighbors. Discontentment in relation to your health or loss of a loved one or financial loss or struggles can also destroy you or rob you of your time on this earth. Discontentment can take and last days, weeks, months, and even years if you let it simmer and soak. Discontentment greatly affects the Christian life. But thankfully, a genuine Christian can and has the ability to change a discontented heart to a heart that is content and can glorify the Lord. And thankfully, we have the Spirit of God and we have the Scriptures and we can look for counsel to try to evaluate issues that might be in our lives to resolve them or resolve issues that might be affecting Uh, impacting others or involving others. And Paul knew of this important issue of contentment in the spiritual life of the Philippian believers so that they would progress in their faith and that the gospel would ultimately advance. Without that, the gospel would be impeded. So Paul shares how he learned contentment and how to be content in whatever and in all circumstances that he may encounter. Now, what we're going to see in this epistle is the main theme of Philippians is joy and unity in the faith, but also tethered together with these two items of joy and unity that are repeated throughout the, this epistle, the, prog- uh, God, the gospel and suffering are tethered, tethered together with these other two important issues. Paul is trying to form an understanding of these 
issues in the minds of the Philippians because the gospel cannot advance well without their change and transformation in their own understanding and application of this truth in their lives. Now look with me. Um, I'm going to bounce around a little bit in some of these verses through Philippians. So look in Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to see how these various joy, unity, the gospel, suffering, the progress of the gospel, the progress of your faith are mentioned often in Philippians. In chapter 1, verse 3 through 7, it says, Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you, all because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in, my, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. In Philippians 2, 17 and 18, Paul repeats this theme of joy. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Bouncing back to the Philippians 1, 21 through 25, look at how he talks about the progress in faith and joy. He says, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, but if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. You see that? He's interested in their progress in the faith, and so a joy. Look back more to the beginning. In verse 1, 12 through 14, we'll see the encouragement and the brothers advance the gospel. In verse 1, 12, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And now he also adds suffering as an important aspect of the Christian faith, just as Paul is suffering his imprisonment. In verse 129, he says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. If we're going to be living faithfully according to the word of God, it's not only a blessing to believe, but we all are going to suffer for his namesake. If we look through scripture, you can't turn 
the New Testament pages without every third or fourth page that all the faithful servants, they are suffering persecutions, hardship, trials, difficulties. We're going to suffer living out our faith. And he knew that was important for the Philippian believers. In 127, at the end of the verse there, he says, I will hear of, uh, hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Here we see the importance of being united in the same spirit. Again, we see this in verse two, uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. The same mind and the same feeling and love. In verse 2, it says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Same standard. It's a kindred spirit. It's this attitude, working together in joy, in unity, of the same mind and spirit. Philippians 1.9, he says, I pray this, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. He's wanting them to have the same discerning unity of doctrine so that they might advance the gospel. Now, moving forward, after establishing this foundation, we see in Philippians 4 how he starts to build on these aspects in the Christian life, how they should live. And he's the example, uh, as we'll find later in in verse 9, but he calls on them again, commands them. In Philippians 4, 5, he says, in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now, we see in the next three sets of verses here, 6 and 7, we'll see how he calls them to right praying. And in verse 8, how he calls them to right thinking. And then how he calls them to right behavior. Biblical prayer, biblical thinking, and biblical behavior. In verse 6 and 7, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving... And thanksgiving is important in the Christian life as part of this contentment. Let your requests be made known to God, lifting them up, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's right praying, biblical praying, biblical thinking. Philippians 4.8, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. It's a present imperative command, active. That is part of our practice. It's habitual. It's durative. We are to be continually dwelling and thinking on the things that honor the Lord. Right prayer, right thinking. And Paul Closes here, he's saying, and the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 
Again, here we see this is an imperative, present, active command. Practice these things. And he's the, he's, he's the one, he's their teacher. He's the example before them. So getting a, an understanding of where Paul is trying to guide them in joy, in unity, advancing the gospel. But in order to advance the gospel and the progress of the gospel, he needs, he, he's trying to impress on them that unity in the faith, unity in doctrine, and also suffering is going to be key in the progress of their faith for the advancement of the gospel. And he, he calls them to right prayer, right thinking, and right actions, and takes them to the next step on the matter of contentment. And we have our text here in chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who, through him who strengthens me. All genuine believers must learn Christian contentment so that they will progress in the faith and participate in the advancement of the gospel. Without contentment, these things will gnaw away. Issues in your life will gnaw away at your heart and incapacitate you. It will impede your progress. You'll be more focused on these other issues than serving others and living out the gospel in your own life and being an example to others. Paul knows that, and he wants to make this real clear in their lives. So what we're going to see in this text is three points. In verse 10, we're going to see contentment through joy in the Lord's provision. Contentment through joy in the Lord's provision. Then we're going to see in verses 11 and 12, Paul's state of contentment and the experience of, of how he learned contentment He's going to, we're going to see in point two, through contentment in the Lord's provision. In point three and 13, through spiritual strength by the Lord, or in the Lord's provision. Joy in the Lord's provision, contentment in the Lord's provision, and spiritual strength in the Lord's provision. Verse 10, again, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now that you la- that now, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. If you were to translate, uh, "but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly," it's more of a a pass. It's a passive past tense reference. Paul is saying, "I was rejoiced greatly by your provision." Now, to, a little bit of background on this. Uh, Paul, uh, second, his second missionary journey was in 49 to 52, and in Acts 17, verses 1 through 13, Paul founded the church for his ministry there, but the, and the Philippians, Philippians supported him with generous support, 
when he went to, uh, to minister in Macedonia and Thessalonica, and then again, they, he traveled to Achaia and Athens, and they supported him there as well. Now, 10 years later, in 60 and six, uh, 61 and 62, he's imprisoned, and he writes this epistle. And he tells them that he was rejoiced greatly by their generosity. In addition, he says, now that you have revived your concern for me, this idea of their generosity means to grow and to bloom and revive again. But they, indeed, they were concerned before, but you lacked the opportunity. For Leslie and I, in the same way, just as you, you guys provided your generosity with uh, a new vehicle for Leslie, uh, for her ministry, and also for what, in the ways you've uh, supported us throughout all the years, whether it was through conferences or Bible software or regular support, we are, we're, just like Paul, we were rejoiced. And on the other side, we can say that there's a rejoicing on the other side because we want to be investing in eternity. When we were before seminary, we were accountants for 20 years, and um, God blessed our business, and we were more interested in laying up treasures in heaven than, than, our, own, than our own benefit. We, wanted, we were in a church that had a huge missions program, and we wanted to see the gospel advanced. And want to encourage you as well, just as Paul was rejoiced by the refreshing and the meeting of all the needs that he had, at times he didn't have, he lacked, but at, at times he had abundance, Philippians were there to meet those needs. And I want to encourage you as well that you can be rejoiced in sharing and advancing the gospel as your generosity is spread to advance the kingdom here God's kingdom here in Youngstown and abroad with missionaries and ministries abroad. There's a, a text in 2 Corinthians 9 that talks about giving, and I talk about uh, the administration of what we've been given, and uh, he who reaps sparingly, uh, reaps, uh, who, who sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. And uh, uh, there's a uh, uh, I had a handful, I don't usually do too many sermon illustrations, but there's a saying in Chile, it's called um, Mano de Wawa. It's, it's like a baby holding on to a toy, and they won't let go of it. It's like you're tight-fisted. So if somebody is really miserly and doesn't want to be generous, they, like, they have a Mano de Wawa. But uh, during this time, too, Paul, using this illustration of sowing seed, we, um, uh, one of the men in our church, he's worked for years in the fields, and he gave me one of these burlap uh, things you just lay over your shoulders, and it has a big pocket, and you just fill that whole big pocket in seed, and you're just out there sowing the seed across the, the field with an open hand. And so that's... That's what the Philippians were about. They wanted to sow and advance the gospel, and they were there to meet the needs for, for Paul. I want to encourage you as well, dear brothers, don't live this Christian life with a mano de wawa. We want to sow generously to see God's kingdom advance, and we want to be investing in eternity and not for ourselves. 
Paul was more interested, not that he would be the recipient of the, these blessings, but in, we see in verse uh, chapter 4, uh, up ahead in the next text, in chapter 4, verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift mice itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. He was always interested in others. He's always focused on others. He wasn't worried about himself. Continuing on, so we've seen joy in the Lord's provision. Number two, we see joy in the contentment of the Lord's provision. In verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. In this point two, contentment in the Lord's provision, we're going to see in verse 11 here, the state of Christian contentment that Paul learned. And then in verse 12, the experiences that formed Christian contentment in his life. If we were to literally translate what he's saying, not that I speak from want, for I learn to be content in whatever circumstances I am, we could say, it is not that I speak because of necessity or deficiency in something or shortage, but the emphasis Paul is placing on himself. He says, I in the original language in the Greek, I have learned to be happy and satisfied. He's placing the emphasis, I, myself. So think about that for yourself. I have learned to be happy or satisfied in whatever I am, in whatever circumstances I am, any situations. This idea of contentment deals with the word enough, content, contentment. In 1 Timothy 6, 16, in this noun form we see, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Paul wants to emphasize, I myself, is that he can be an example to them in understanding this issue of Christian contentment. In whatever circumstance, I have a state of being contented. I am satisfied. I have an ease of mind with whatever my issues, whatever my circumstances are, I have this ease of mind because I know the Lord is providing with my wants, my needs, my whatever I lack. He is there. In verse 12, we see how these experiences formed Christian contentment. And I want you to capture the range or the spectrum of the matter of this contentment in your spiritual life. Because this is one of those broad passages. Sometimes Paul just goes off and he just gives these broad spectrums of different, different topics. For example, in Colossians 1.15, he says, He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on the earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. And all things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and him in him all things hold together. It's just this broad spectrum he's describing who Christ is and his supremacy. Also, we can see that in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, when he talks about the love of Christ, he says, may 
that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to the treasure, or to all the fullness of God. And in the same way, Paul is giving this broad spectrum of how he learned through all these experiences Christian contentment. Paul is sharing these comments to the Philippians about lessons he learned in his service to the Lord. It was through these experiences that Paul grew in his trust and faith in Jesus Christ by his provision in any circumstances, any circumstance. And Paul's this open book for everyone to read and an example for us. His life is well known, his sufferings for the gospel. And he says here, he writes here in verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. Now, the first part of verse 12, we've got this verb, I know. If we were to literally translate it, there's two types of know in, in Spanish and Greek. One is more intellectually, which this text rests on. I know it's called, it's oida, oida. And the other one is more of a personal knowing, which is conocer. Well, it's gnosko in, in, in Greek. But in, in Spanish, one is saber and one is conocer. And English, it's just no. So we wouldn't know exactly what is the distinction here in the language without it being explained in the text. But here, the word oida is a, is a perfect tense verb, and it's, um, and it's active, okay? It's a perfect tense. So Paul is pointing back to us, a perfect tense verb in the Greek points back to a certain time in the past, when this event started and the actions continue to the present and continue with ongoing effect. So he is saying that I have known over time something started in the past and I have learned, I have known this. And you see in the text it says, how to get along in humble means. Well, it's not exactly... If you want to say, what is a literal translation? I have known, and it's infinitive, passive. I have, I have known, thinking about it, to be humbled. I have known to be humbled. So when did this, I have known to be humbled, start? Well, we can go back to Acts chapter 9, in verse 15 and 16, and I don't know if you have ever read um, any books by Jeremiah Burroughs, but he is just a precious author, a Puritan author. And he, he wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And if you struggle anymore with contentment, I want to encourage you. It's a Puritan paperback. Go buy it, and you will. it is deep and precious, and you will spend, pay, spend minutes uh, contemplating some of the things he writes on those pages. And he's got two Two chapters on a murmuring heart, too, to, if you have a murmuring, or grumbling, or complaining heart. So 
to eat away at, at, at any of that contempt, discontentment you have. But in Acts chapter 9, 15 and 16, when, when Paul was called, but the Lord said to him, go for he is, a, he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. One thing that Jeremiah Burroughs talks about in this issue of contentment is God works in contentment by reduction, by subtraction, by decrease. So Paul, to take away in chapter 3 in Philippians, we have all of Paul's credentials before he was called to ministry uh, with, with his uh, Hebrew upbringing. And God had to reduce and decrease and take away by subtraction. Not an easy thing, huh? Some people have a hard time learning this subtraction. Uh, we've, we've had a couple issues um, in the past in our church or uh, t- also in the seminary this past year. We, we have, um, unfortunately, we, sometimes we, you come across people that are self-taught and they, they don't stay in any sort of church and they, they read and they learn on their own and they don't submit to authorities. They, they've never been under an authority and they exalt themselves. And we had, unfortunately, we had a, a time when we had the student who just exalted himself and never humbled himself. And they can cause a lot of problems, whether it be in a church or a seminary or wherever it may be. But Paul, God was chipping away over time. And Paul's saying, I have known to be humiliated. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 through 13. Paul kind of gives us a summary of some of these things he experienced. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 3 through 13. He says, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and, and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, yet behold, we live, as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. That's one thing that Jeremiah Burroughs mentioned. He says, how can somebody not be content? You have the creator who created, you possess the one who created all things. And he also emphasized that it is bringing a discontented man what he wants down to bringing down his desires, reducing his desires down to 
what God wants in his life in these circumstances. And some of that's very hard. And if that wasn't enough, Paul goes on a couple chapters later in chapter 11, and he says, you know, against these false teachers, he's defending his apostleship. He says in verse 23, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten five times, or beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, and a night and a day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, and dangers among false brethren. If you're going to be faithful in ministry, you're going to, to advance the gospel, you're going to suffer. And we've been through some difficult times, challenging times where we've had to suffer. And, you know, sometimes, you know, in ministry, you want to go to your wife and you want to get some compassion. You're asking your wife for compassion and she wants she wants to be biblical, and she says, well, honey, you haven't suffered to the point of our Lord Jesus Christ or uh, the Apostle Paul. And I say, oh, well, that makes me feel so much better, you know. <laughs> but it's true. The Lord was humbling Paul. Think about all those All those experiences, Paul, I have known to be humiliated. But look at the grace that is sufficient for him. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he's learned this. He says, because of the surpassing greatness of of the revelations, for this reason, I keep from exalting myself. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored, the, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he, and he said to me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. That's where we ought to be. Whatever ways God is humiliating us, we ought to rest in our weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell and be evident in in us. Paul says, therefore, I am well content. There he is. I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Proverbs 25, 4 says, Take away the dross from the silver, and there comes out a vessel for the smith. He called himself the chief, chief of sinners. He just was made small, weakened, humiliated. It's not a good experience, but we all are experiencing different trials and circumstances, and God is intimately acquainted with all our ways, And he is humbling all of us. And through these circumstances and situations, we would learn contentment. To be made small, to be reduced, so that Christ might 
elevate and be evident in our lives. Also, the second and the next phrase, we, we see the same word, oida, I have known to live in prosperity. So through these events and through these ministries, he sees God's provision. He says, I have known prosperity. It's a little bit different than what I'd say, what, we, what, we, what the Lord's provided with us. Uh, we happen, I mean, I'm saying for all of us in the United States, uh, in our church, we came from a large missions-minded uh, missions church, and uh, this missions director of about 40 years, he used to remind us, he says, if you have not traveled to another country, you do not know that you live in Disneyland. We live like kings and queens. And even people in Chile, they, uh, some live like kings and queens compared to others in other parts of the world. But Paul, we see that he is being provided with an abundance at different times where uh, he, his needs are met. We'll see more about this same word about abundance in, in a moment. Now we get to the second part of this verse in verse 12, and we see this broad spectrum. And as you guys had seen, if you were here in Sunday school with these structural line diagrams, I want you to understand the structure of this sentence here because it, it just includes one time in any and every circumstance. I'll, re- I'll read the verse here. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. But what we can see if we were to do this structural line diagram for those who have, have been exposed to that, we can identify in any and every circumstance with these four different items. Being filled in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of going hungry in, every, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled, or of, of having abundance in any and every circumstance. And I have learned the secret of being um, of suffering need in any and every circumstance. So we're going to take a walk through each one of these. But there's an interesting verb here about this idea of I have learned the secret, the secret. It's a word, mueo, mueo mai, okay? And uh, this word is, is used only here in the New Testament. It's the idea of to begin uh, to being initiated into the mysteries. It was used in extra-biblical language to, uh, with pagan religions, but being initiated into these new, uh, new ideas. But these were the mysteries here that Paul is being... These, are the, these mysteries are the experiences of the power of Christ to form contentment in his life. And it's a passive, so it's kind of kind of interesting how it's written here. I have learned. Uh, the word is learned, but in in a passive sense, that's that's an active way to translate. I have learned. It's I have been taught in every and in, in any and every circumstance. I have been taught. 
So here's this perfect passive. We're going back again to the past with this action that continues to the present and into the future. I have been taught to be filled. I, in, any, in any and every circumstance, I have been taught going hungry. In any and every circumstance, I have an abundance in every, any, in every, in any and every circumstance. Number four, in any and every circumstance, I have been taught suffering needs. Pablo was, Paul was completely content with the idea of having a, a contentment with being satiated or having, uh, as the Chileans would say, guatita llena, corazón contento. A happy stomach is a happy heart. <laughs> That's, that was just an expression that everybody says, talking about contentment. The word contento is, is una palabra. It's a, it's a word in Spanish that is used to more or less describe, I'm satisfied, I'm content. We don't use those words as much, uh, content, uh, in, in our language. So here we have, in each and every circumstance, I have learned being taught the secret of being satiated or filled. Number two, in each and every circumstance, I have been taught the secret um, to be uh, being hungry. So all these circumstances, Paul was lacking food. He was being growing in his understanding of Christian contentment and what the Lord's provision was for that moment. Three, in each and every circumstance, I have been taught the secret of abundance. That would be in material provisions and also in spiritual provisions. The word here, again, as used earlier in, the, in, this, in this text, uh, it talks about uh, Paul is often using this in the idea of the abundance of God's truth, the abundance of God's grace. In Romans 15, 13 Paul writes, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians uh, 8, 7, but just as you, as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in love, we inspired you uh, see that you abound in this gracious work also. So as the leadership in this church, we give thanks for the abundant provisions for you to sustain the work here, and we also have more gratitude for the abundant growth of the believer's faith in the word of God and in Christ for the work of the gospel. And Paul gave thanks for the provisions, but was more encouraged by this. In, in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Number four, in each and every circumstance, Paul says, I have been taught the secret of having need. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 10, he says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present day, to this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. 
and we toil, working with our own hands, and when we are reviled, we bless, and when we are persecuted, we endure, and when we are slandered, we try to conciliate, and when we, uh, and we have become as the scums of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Reduction, reduction, subtraction, decrease. He's humbling us. It's love. He wants to see more of himself in us so that Christ might be amplified in our lives. Paul says, I don't consider myself of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish the course and the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. So, beloved, where, where are you in contentment? What is God doing in your life? And are you recognizing that God is using these circumstances in your life that he might be glorified and that you might learn Christian contentment? That your progress might advance in your faith so that you might be able to help progress in the advancement of the gospel through the kingdom Could there be issues related to spiritually in your marriage, with your husband, with your wife, children, other members of your family, issues with members in the church, your health or your job where you're like, I don't want this. And this thing is just gnawing away, chewing away in your heart and your mind and your thoughts and it just dominates your life. You go along, yeah, there's, there's work, I'm advancing, I'm advancing. But Paul wants you to know that in any and every circumstance, suffering need or lacking things or having an abundance, I have known. You can say it the same way. Man, I can go back and reflect on my own life. Man, when, I got, when the Lord saved me, Wow, I can look back and I can see, wow, he's teaching me, he's teaching me contentment. <laughs> I have learned contentment. I need to learn contentment here. Finally, we've learned joy in the Lord's provision, contentment in the Lord's provision. Number three, spiritual strength in the Lord's provision in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Again, Paul personalizes this third point, recognizing that the capacities to fulfill his ministry do not rest on his own abilities, but rather on the Lord Jesus Christ, his divine enabler. This verse is quite simple to understand and memorize. I, I just I remember one of my brothers, she says, Hey, I can do all things for Christ who strengthens me. I just remember, you know, when I have different things or get called to speak or whatever. And sometimes it might be a little waffling or weak or uh, a verse comes to mind. I can do all things. It's an it's a active indicative. It's a reality. Uh, the mood is an indicative mood. It's a reality. Just like I feel to say it with this oida, it's, it's an indicative mood. It's a reality I have known. And here he's talking about I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a reality. It's a present tense, it's durative, it's continual, and it's an active voice. I can do all things. 
It's in accordance with his word. Christ is described in the Greek here as, uh, well, it's, it's kind of interesting. There's two words here that talk about doing or being able. So Paul, when Paul's talking about I can do all things, it's the verb eskuo. And this verb eskuo talks about the emphasis is, is on knowing the factual ability to be the factual knowledge of the ability to do something. It's just factual. It's not empowering you. It's just the knowledge. I have the, I have the factual understanding that I have the ability to do these things. But then we have what's called a participle. A participle is describing who Christ is here in this verse. He is the one who is strengthen, strengthening me. And it's present and active. So he, Jesus Christ, for Paul and for every believer, Jesus Christ is the one who is enabling you. He is the one the, with dunamai is the, is the Greek word here. And it's intensified with a prefixed preposition fixed to this verb. So it's intensifying the action. He is the one who is involved in you, making you able to be able to do this work. It's continually ongoing and active in you. So Paul was always recognizing that he's able to do everything that the Lord called him to do because God, Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, is the, the divine enabler that makes him able to fulfill what God has called him to. And dear brothers, it's the same for all of us. It's the same for all of us. He says, I am well content. I'm well content with the weaknesses, insults, persecutions, etc. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power of of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. The believer needs to embrace this truth in his own personal life as a reality of Christ's continual, continual enabling as he depends on his Lord to accomplish whatever task he might be confronted with in his life. This is a continual, ongoing enabling as you actively look to Christ to do this work. Do you do the work in your own strength? John 15, John 15, 5 says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And Galatians 2, 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I live, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's all him. And just as Christ is for Paul, our Lord is for you. He's your divine enabler to consistently fulfill and complete what he has called you to do. But we see that that is all tied to joy, unity, the advancement of the gospel, but more the advancement of your faith in suffering and humility and contentment so that, the, that you might mature and be sanctified and grow in the faith and you be, become more a capable servant of advancing his gospel. I just want to read a couple other verses that can put an exclamation point on 
what Paul is trying to convey in, in other texts. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29, he says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Why? For this purpose I also I labor, striving according to his power, which works, which mightily works within me. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, he says, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I remember in, in, um, in, in, in chapel, uh, I think Rob Provost, his dad, his dad told him, he says, your, your life, there's nothing that's going to happen in your life. You know, you can't hold on to your life. It, your, your life is fixed, so go serve the Lord. And whatever he, he does, he's going to do it, right? You're, you're, it's, it's, um, he's preserving it. In Isaiah 40, 28 uh, through 31, do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord of the the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks him, he increases power. Though youths grow tired, weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mourn, or they will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So if you're weary, he is the one who strengthens us. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And that word toil is the word kapas. It's to the point of extreme exhaustion or extreme pain. Because it's the Lord who is strengthening us and renewing us. So reflect, take some time and reflect on what you've heard today about Paul's message of contentment and how important it is for, your, for you to progress in the faith so that the, faith, that the gospel can advance. And Paul is encouraging you to know joy and unity in the faith, having the same mind and spirit and recognizing that the gospel cannot advance unless... We are willing to suffer and recognize contentment in our Christian life. And we see this boy, through joy in the Lord's provision, through contentment in the Lord's provision, and finally, spiritual strength in the Lord's provision. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are amazed at your omniscience, your omnipresence, your perfect will and work and providence in our own lives. And all of us are going through various circumstances and situations. Help us, Lord, to evaluate and reflect on what Paul is saying here in this text. Just as he's encouraging the Philippian believers to 
learn what is Christian contentment, what is the state of Christian contentment, what are the experiences that Paul went through, help us go back and count and reflect or to, to realize the different things that have occurred in my life that, have, that God really wants to use in order to humble me or see his provisions or provide for my, my various needs. And through these things that I can be content and be satisfied and be happy with the state that I am in. And if I need help that I can refer, refer to your spirit and the word or others who are more trained that can give me wisdom from the scriptures and deal with my situation or work with others to resolve these issues that are needling my heart or giving me gnawing at my heart or giving me unrest. Over all things, Lord, we, we want you to be glorified. We have you. We have the creator, the one who created all things. We possess you. Help us to learn contentment so that you might be glorified and exalted in our lives. We thank you and ask you in Christ's name, amen. like to stand. And stand together. Thank you so much, brother. What a wonderful message, ministering the contentment of Christ to our hearts. And let's give God the glory and the praise as we sing together. How great is our God.
serving us this morning with the Word of God. Indeed, uh, with the, the Apostle Paul, we have the resources in Christ to learn to be content in all circumstances. So I don't want to hear any grumbling the rest of the day. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, as he closes his letter to the Philippians, he writes these words to them. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. 